0: To the Asking Why podcast. Glad to have you, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, me and you've been friends for a long time. Um, we met in college and over the course of the last, what, it's been like 15 years now since we've met each other?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's been a long time.
0: Yeah. Both got married, <laughs> both got kids.
1: <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. It's
0: not. I know. So, tell me what, um, you know, what you're doing now and, um, yeah, all that good fancy stuff.
1: Cool. So I uh, so currently I live in Jacksonville, Florida. I am a family medicine physician by training, and I work at the Mayo Clinic here at one of their regional clinics. So it's all um, primary care doctors and um, what, what we call advanced practice providers. So you know, nurse practitioners and PAs. Um, So right now, I've been at that job since uh, June of 2020. Um, So uh, I'm lucky I still had a job once everything went down through the pandemic. So Um, and uh, that's actually when I also got out of the Navy. So um, so, yeah, uh, uh, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm doing currently. Um, Got a few other titles there as well. I'm a assistant medical student clerkship director um and so that's been a fun role i've really enjoyed teaching medical students and i'm also a site champion for point of care ultrasound so we're we're starting to study how to use an ultrasound device to make certain diagnoses in clinic to spare patients having to go get it somewhere like an imaging center Mm. or at least get them an answer a lot quicker from a clinical standpoint so i'm looking into that and then of course the main um focus I have right now, which is what we're going to talk about today, is lifestyle medicine. So I'm currently working on becoming board certified in lifestyle medicine, and I will make a shameless plug for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Great resource for any any health provider that might be listening or a patient that wants to find a consolidated um, place where we put together all of the good studies and evidence supporting what we recommend to the Lifestyle um, College.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's, we. For those of you that don't know, like me and Steve have been friends for a long time. We're pretty goofy together, so we're going to try to keep this serious as possible. <laughs> but we're going to laugh a lot. So if you're watching the video, we're probably going to make really awkward faces and and try to stay serious for two hours, and that'll, know, that'll be a surprise to everyone who knows our friendship. It'll um, last about- we could take it really far and really goofy really quickly. Um, so one of the reasons just for people listening, Steven's an awesome person and I trust him implicitly. And so, you know, as we've done this work of integrative wellness and therapy, um, and we've added a couple of doctors, um, and pediatricians and chiropractors, um, he just has a good take on, you know, medicine and where medicine's going and where medicines come from and so I thought it'd be a great idea to have him on here so our goal today for people listening is just to open our minds to a different way of looking at health a different way of looking at the medical care system and seeing how mental health and and physical health all kind of play a role together um, in our other podcasts, we've kind of talked through um, dietitian things and trauma and so we'll probably touch on a little bit of that but that's the goal today for people listening so um Stephen, kind of tell me. You said the Navy. So you got, tell me about you. Like, how did you become a doctor? What was kind of your goal? What led you into uh, the medical field?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So I actually, it's funny. I specifically remember when I was, I was 18, you know, about to go off to college to Louisiana Tech, which is how about them dogs? I met. Go about them dogs. Um, So I distinct, I remember this like vividly. I still have a strong memory of this. I told my mom, I will never become a doctor because it takes too long. I just, I remember telling her that. So I clearly didn't know what I was going to do with my life when I went to college. Yeah. Uh, Well, we were all going to just
0: be in school for like two or three years and we'd get out making $35,000 a year and we'd be rich. You know, like I remember (laughs) that. I was like, oh, I'm just getting out of here in like three years. I'll make like 30 grand and I'll be able to pay all my bills and be happy for the rest of my life.
1: I know, right? Yeah, because I had zero income at that point, so right? Exactly. I no perspective. So I, um, I actually uh, studied biomedical engineering in college, and um, you know, I, I was actually really interested in uh, what's called tissue engineering. So that's basically where like Charmin and-, and exactly tissue paper. It's it would really have been important really important right now during the pandemic. Yeah, very very popular guy. Just like epidemiologists got really popular all of a sudden. Yep. I was like, they're never popular. They're epidemiologists. Anyway, um, so I wanted to do tissue engineering, so basically my big plan was, oh, I want to be the first guy to grow a kidney, you know, like an artificial kidney, you know, from the person's own body cells, so then you don't have to worry about the transplant issues, and a lot of that stemmed from my aunt being a transplant nurse, mm-hmm. she was the transplant coordinator for the only transplant center in Arkansas, where I'm from, so... Um, So I had, I had like that as a health member in my family, but no one, everyone else worked for AT&T, like literally everyone else in my family. So I was like, well, I know I don't want to do that because I hear all their stories when they come home. It's like, I'm not working in communications, that's for sure. So, uh, so I went to, went to, did engineering and I, I got probably two years into it and I was really enjoying it, but I just, I just didn't see, I just couldn't see myself doing that you know, whatever you know, and I, I knew the breadth of the industry, but I just like I just don't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. I was mm-hmm. like, there's just something not there that I really want. So, um, so we have, uh, you know, Clint and I have a mutual friend there, Lucius McGee, who was also, you know, we kind of saw him as as big poppy and mm-hmm. mentor, and just a great great all around man um, that we were, had the pleasure and, and we're blessed to know. His brother is a pediatrician in Ruston, so. I, um, shadowed him a couple of times, just kind of like, honestly, just cast the nets. Like I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Doctor seems kind of cool, long road, but whatever, I'll, I'll go check it out. And I just remember that, I mean, within a couple of patient visits, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And I've always been kind of an intuitive person, just like making a decision, just like, yep, yeah, it felt right. You know, go for it. <clears throat> now, of course I don't, I don't really give myself any credit for that, but you know, <laughs> at the time it was like, oh yeah, this feels right. This is it. Um, and, um, and I just remember Dr. McGee, you know, coming in and out of the rooms, the relationships he had with these people, like all the trust and, and, you know, that was going into that visit with him and between both of them, you know, between, between doctor and patient. And I think, I think that's something that I, I picked up on pretty quick. And then, and then integrating all the science and all that cool stuff, you know, kind of behind the scenes, you know, hearing, hearing him talk kind of about the medicine and at the same time, doing really well with the kids and, and, the, and the parents, I was like, this is it. This is it. So then I was like, oh crap, I have to, I have to figure out how to get into med school. <laughs> I was like way behind. Uh, luckily, I was already on the pre-med track, but I was like, I, I still have some catching up to do. So I had to, I had to scramble a little bit. And then, um, so that's, that's basically the decision to, to go to medical school. And then, you know, <clears throat> um, the Navy was kind of an interesting situation. I had a recruiter. Um, a health healthcare in the Navy recruiter come by, and he, um, at the time, I was the, um, it was the Biomedical Engineering Society, I was the president. So he wanted to just come talk to our society and just, you know, see if he could recruit some people. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't know. And I remember, like, he got out of the car and I met him, this guy, Chief Richard Fail. And he goes, he goes, you're going to be in the Navy. And I was like, okay, all right. Yeah. Sure, buddy. Like, yeah, you
0: don't know this I'm guy. Like,
1: come do your thing. I'm going to eat the free pizza. Did you, did you
0: have your long hair at that point?
1: You know, I think it did. My samurai ponytail. Oh, yeah. That was great, man. Those were the days. Um, so then, you know, we kind of, so anyway, long story short, I, I talked with him a little bit. We we kind of got into the process. And I was like, you know what? No, it's not for me. I'm doing it for the money. That's the wrong reason. Don't join the military for money. You know, that's not, that's not the right way to do it. Um, and luckily, I had good friends like Clint. I think we talked about it a little bit back then about, you know, just intentions and, and purpose and stuff like that. So then he bugged me for a whole year and I was like, you know what? If you just take me to, if you just take me to a base and let me meet mm-hmm. some people, I'll consider it. Right. So I went on this trip, uh, I remember met some that. doctors. Yeah. i met some doctors at Portsmouth Naval hospital. And, um, and honestly, that's, that's, again, that was that moment. It kind of clicked. I was like, these people, they're, they're working together. They seem really motivated. Um, they're having a good time um they just seem like good people you know you can kind of pick up on that pretty quick so I was like yeah this is this is the kind of environment I could work in and of course back then you know I had some ideas about what med school was going to be like and be in the navy like oh yeah you'll be able to work out every day you know you'll have time time put away and you have to be on ships and stuff none of that happened by the way but anyway (laughs) um (laughs) but uh ended up joining the navy so um so you know graduate college go to medical school got into medical school at university of arkansas in Little Rock. Um, And I will tell you the first two years of medical school was, was a interesting experience. Um, By far the hardest thing I've ever done. And uh, definitely felt like I changed a little bit through that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and looking back, I don't know if I can still name what really happened. Uh, Definitely, definitely an adjustment disorder. I think if you want to go by DSM-5, um you know just overwhelmed by uh, the the work that had to be put in to make it because because to uh, to be honest and this is going to sound really you know cocky and i don't mean to sound that way but school was easy to that point even college was easy like making a's it was easy i got to med school and got my that was a reality check yeah i got blasted um
0: i mean i remember talking to you and you being kind of checked out
1: I was I was not doing well Um, I was not making good grades and of course you're on a curve in med school and everyone else is freaking smart too right so Mm -hmm. it's like oh geez I didn't realize there was this many other smart people that are a lot smarter than me and I'm like oh man but anyway through having a really good friend group and a good we actually had a we did a man we call it man breakfast you know so um, a good kind of small group of guys that we you know, digging into the Bible, supporting each other, getting, just having breakfast, having community, you know, we all supported each other and we, we all just kind of made it, you know, um, we did the best we could. I will say third and fourth year were way better. Uh, clinicals made a lot more sense to me. And that's when it, that's when I had a lot of fun. Um, what
0: advice would you give, um, somebody who's kind of going through those first couple of years coming out of college where it's easy, um, you know, to have a better mental state or to have a better emotional state as they're going through it?
1: to be honest man i think i don't know it's kind of like what they always said in the military like what can i do to get ready for special forces training it's like well you probably really can't do anything other than more mental preparation Mm -hmm. you know like i think i think it's more mental preparation for the amount of work and the amount of pressure and the amount of stress that you're about to put yourself through yeah i don't know if there's any amount of studying or any amount of like knowledge you can go in with just like any, even from a physic, you know, they think about special forces, like there's no amount of physic, you can't work out enough to just make it through like you, you, uh, so, so the best advice I would give is start kind of preparing to do the, probably one of the hardest things you've ever done in your life, um, from a school standpoint and, and immediately find a community to be, to, to support you through that. Yeah that may be a spouse that may be friends you already have that may be friends you make in med school. And, um, I'll tell you the, the friends you make in the trenches of med school or, or, you know, it's a shared, you know, shared suffering as we say. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, There's and, a
0: trauma bond that goes with that.
1: Yeah. And I, owe, I mean, I mean, obviously my faith and, and, you know, us working through, um, you know, be, you know, the, the small group side of it, but just those guys in general, you know, those, mm-hmm. those few guys that we still have a text string still joking around, but it's like, you know, there would be times where I was up and one of them was down or I was down and one of them was up and it just, it just kind of worked out, you know? So That's good. So it's I would just say, um, you know, know, know who your support structures are, know who the people are that you would go to when you're not doing so good and, and be, be vulnerable, be willing to admit that was really hard for me to admit. I'll tell you my first eight weeks, I was not doing good at all, like grade wise. And, and then, and again, when your validation comes from being the smart guy, And it being easy, then all of a sudden, you're not the smart guy. And it's really hard. I mean, just personally, that was really difficult. Yeah, Um, I mean, I
0: know you. So you know, it's like, you're a very charismatic, funny, bigger than life person, (laughs) and you have a great time with everything. And I can imagine, you know, that kind of smacking you between the eyes. And not being like that doesn't carry you through, you know, I mean, you can be as chipper as you want to. And we can joke and be silly. But like, you know, that's not gonna not gonna make you make good grades. It's not gonna, you know, get the thing done. Exactly. I remember you having a really hard, I remember several phone calls um, that I've had with you and that were, you know, you were struggling. So I'm proud. I mean, I'm proud of you. I think, you know, it's so cool now. I mean, I just saw you at the beach this year for the first time with your kids and, and you get into getting married and all that stuff, but you know, to see where you've come from and where we both come from at tech and just being the immature, silly recovering, you know, from our own family stuff and our own issues um, to now where we're still silly and recovering, but we're at least farther along the road than we were. I'm just super proud of you, man. And I think, you know, it's a dream to have you on here and, and hear this stuff. Aww. So it's awesome.
1: Well, thanks, man. Yeah, man. I got a couple, couple thoughts on that real quick. I, first of all, I am also very proud of you. Um, again, I think um, from, from the, the days we first met and I, I'll tell you, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but from the days we first met, I just, I knew the potential you had. I could tell, you know, you're just that kind of guy that just has natural charisma and natural leadership capabilities. Because some people have to, they have to go to the classes, they have to train, they have to learn. Okay, how do I be a manager? How do I be a lead? well leadership mainly? Um, you just ha- you just have that natural ability to do that. And then it was more about honing it in, right? So, um, and again, I, I will also my other point is I will um, owe you and the group of guys we develop community with in college to being able to do that in medical school, right? So if I had gone into medical school with never having to do that, to be vulnerable with other guys, to, to, to say this, say, the, say what I'm not doing very good with and struggling with and doing that in a, in a Christian based environment, if I hadn't done that, it would have been, I, I would have been lost. Oh, I think I don't sure. know. Cause I wouldn't have found it in med school. Luckily we all kind of came together, similar personalities and, and similar humor and then oh oh by the way we're all like you know want to do this small group together you know it really worked out in med school but if I hadn't done it in college and hadn't established what that could look like uh I, I what happened to med school to be honest so so again I, I thank you for being that you know that experience for me in in college and then again I'm just extremely proud of you I cannot I can, I'll I'll uh I'm very proud of you man
0: yeah, man. Same, same here. I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I'll forever cherish being on that, uh, you know, so Stephen and I led this uh, Bible study with Lucius McGee for these eighth grade, ninth grade sophomore kids when we were in college, but we were just kids too. And I'll never forget yeah. being on that youth retreat and just both of us being broken of our own stuff and crying and hugging each other and working like we're there to serve them <laughs> and like be the leaders. <laughs> and like, you know, we're all having our moment. And so, you know, it, it's yeah. just really cool to see what God has done. And so for people out there, you know, wherever you're at, like, you know, wherever you're at currently, there are people in your life who, who are going to be in there for a season. They're going to be there for life and they're going to come and go. But man, those bonds and those things, when it comes to being vulnerable and really sharing and learning those things together, they never really go away. And you'd you'd be completely surprised, as we are today, having this podcast, that you know we'd both be married and have kids, and you know be professionals as much as professionals as we can be. <laughs> We're doing pretty good so far without completely losing uh, it. But so yeah. keep going. So you is, when did yeah, you so, when did you meet your wife? Was that?
1: Well, I met I met Katie the summer after. Um, the summer after first year of medical school. So it was between first and second year. And, you know, things things had been getting better by that point. I actually just got back from my officer training for the Navy. And our, our kind of joke is I, I lost, like, 30 pounds at that training. Oh,
0: I, I remember ate, you coming back, like, because you were always, like, yeah. thick. like You were always, like, yeah, a thick yeah. boy, big hair, thick big, boy. thick. And then you came back, and I was like, this dude's got abs. And, like, he's in <laughs> he's shape. He's, like a, like, a Navy guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they only let us eat three times a day. So that's what really got me i couldn't have my ice cream at you know 11 like i always did in college
2: sure. uh
1: and i also couldn't have another certain beverage that uh anyway so um so no I, I lost a bunch of weight i came back and again I all good things and that ties into what we're talking about later but um the um you know met met katie and, and again our she her and i's joke is she she like always thought it was like the the big goofy class clown guy. And then when I, I walked in the night, we met, you know, we kind of hung out that first time from, from the officer train. She was like, Ooh, look at him, you know? Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, I was like, Oh, okay. How vain are you? You know? Um, so
0: <laughs> thank God. Right.
1: <laughs> I know. Right. You know, exactly my um, so we, we started, we actually, uh, uh, kind of a, you know, different story for another day, but became best friends kind of first, which looking back, I really appreciated that. And then, you know, and then we started dating and then eventually got married. So, Um, but, um, but anyway, she's, she's a physician too. She's family practice and she's actually doing, um, a working from home kind of thing right now, which is really working out from a work life balance standpoint, especially with the kids. Um, so I graduated. I had
0: a really good uh, guy who did your wedding.
1: Oh, oh man. Yeah. Oh, let's not forget the wedding. We had the best, the best minister you've ever met come to our wedding. That was my first one. one I
0: was so nervous i was so nervous i remember having to get this like arkansas marriage license so i could do the the thing
1: we got it it,
0: and then it was like uh, this pastor is drinking wine and dancing like what is happening right now yes yes (laughs) we
1: had we threw down at the we had a great time no reception i i you know that i thought that was a really great wedding i thought i thought it was so much very personal and intimate and it was a good time and i think Anyway, so again, yeah, thanks for being our efficient. Our I just remembered um, it as we
0: were talking. I was like, oh yeah, because the time know, like, thing oh, comes yeah. up every once in a while and I always forget yeah, that, that did I didn't, you know,
1: yeah. Um, so, so then graduate medical school um, and I got a residency in Jacksonville, Florida. Didn't know anything about Jacksonville, Florida. Never, I think I'd only been there once, but it was like a mission trip years ago, uh, years prior. So I didn't really remember much about it. So sorry. It's
0: okay. You're, um, you're a doctor. Who knows?
1: um so the uh yeah you're like i'm out yeah the um the the so jacksonville florida is where i got my residency spot and then the um katie got her spot at mayo clinic here in jacksonville so that's why that worked out like um distance wise you know so we didn't want to have we didn't have to live apart if at all possible and it really worked out uh to our favor so now residency was kind of its own animal. Um, it was a lot of hours working, and it definitely was strenuous. But it it was it was definitely a better environment, you know, from a mental standpoint um, than than the first couple of years of med school. So I really did enjoy residency. I had a great time, learned a heck of a lot. We did a lot, you know. In Navy in Navy medicine, we're still full scope. So I'm delivering babies. We're doing inpatient. We're doing ICU care. Um, we're doing like NICU. Uh, and then of course outpatient clinic and a bunch of procedures. So we, I learned a lot in residency, but it was really good. Um, met, met you know, great people that I worked with. Um, didn't, unfortunately didn't learn a lot about the military cause you're kind of in a bubble. So then my, my, uh, my, my baptism to the military, so to speak was after residency, um, got stationed at Cherry Point, North Carolina, which is a Marine Corps air station.
2: Mm.
1: So, uh, got to hang out with some Marines for a few years, which are uh, interesting people. Love them. Uh, definitely, Ooh, uh, yeah. I have some family members that are Marines, so I, I like to give them a hard time. Um, but um, well, but yeah, we, no, we get it, to
0: do that, right? Between branches, I mean, we get to make fun of each other, but nobody can, of course, make fun of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, a lot I'm of Air started. Force people in Treeport, and I'd love to. The...
1: Well, yeah, Air Force is too easy, though. You
0: know? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I'm the Navy's so hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Navy, I know. For all the for all our active our service members out there, we're joking. Yep. And you guys know what we're talking yeah,
0: about. Yeah, exactly.
1: We appreciate all your service. <laughs> um, Don't cancel us. So, yeah. So I, uh, so my first duty station was in Trey point, North Carolina. So I'll tell you a li- another kind of, again, I, one of the things I really appreciate your podcast is how people come on and they're kind of vulnerable about stuff that's gone down in their lives. And so here's, here's my moment. Um, so I, I experienced, I was probably about halfway through that tour. So probably about a year and a half in maybe just close to two years in. And, um, I, you know, I've always kind of been an overachiever, you know, go figure. Um, always tried to be best at everything I do. I tried to, you know, I guess, and I wasn't good with boundaries at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, it's like, what's sad is I knew it, but I didn't do anything about it. Right. So I was saying yes to everything. I was doing everything. Um, I was trying to be everything to everybody at work, um, for my patients, for, um, for at home, which unfortunately, the home is what suffered probably the most of all of that. Because I kind of I thought that if I if I dove more into work and I did really well, somehow home would be better, which was really ridiculous. But I was just in this vicious cycle. Absolutely. I think and then definitely experiencing what I guess the popular term and I really don't like this term is called burnout, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Uh, but I, I like to kind of call it what it is. You know, you, if you want to call it dysthymia, if you want to call it um, adjustment disorder with depressed mood, whatever you want to call it. I was experiencing it. And, and again, it was one of the situations where I kind of knew I was, but I was, I was in denial. Mm-hmm. I was like, if I just do this, if I just make it to this month, if I just get to this point, it'll get better. It'll get better. It'll get better. And, um, you know, and I kept getting disappointed along the way and I, it just mismatched expectations for what I thought people were capable of and what they actually did, um, for things like uh, thinking I was making a really positive change in some process and I was implementing it and I was writing it all down and we had it all going and like two weeks later whoever it is was go back to doing it the old way. yeah you know? and it's just little roadblocks mm-hmm. like that but looking back, it's like what I, what I say now and what I realize is people will always be people yep. right? they will always be people. They'll, they'll be the best of people and they'll be the worst of people, but they will always be people. So I think it's the, um, you know, clarifying what are my expectations, clarifying what are my goals, clarifying what matters to me the most. Um, and I kind of had to go through a l- really low point to, to kind of realize, you know, take that step back and realize that I don't have to be everything to everyone. I do need to set boundaries. I need to learn how to say no. Um, I owe a little bit of that to this book I read called Essentialism, um, which I, th- I would put a plug in for that book. If you are kind of struggling with feeling like you have, you feel like you have to do a whole lot. Um, I'll tell you, you really don't. Um, and in fact, you're actually more effective if you really focus in on the few things yeah. that you try to get really good at. And so that's why now at this point in my life, I'll, 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 fill in the gaps, but I've realized what I'm passionate about and what I'm good at and what my work needs. And that's that kind of middle of the Venn diagram where it's like the perfect spot. Right. Oh yeah. So, um, you can mix your passion with your skill set with your institutional needs all together, and that's in the book Essentialism. Um, then that's that's the sweet spot, right? So that's how you prevent kind of lo- you know losing some of that. Um, uh, our our, our the symptoms of something like burnout coming on is that is that when you're not quite in that middle zone, that's when that's kind of starts to happen.
0: Oh yeah, man, it's tough. I mean, I, I think I hit that the October before last, you know, it's starting the practice, everything's going great. It's all these good things, but you know, didn't have the administration in place that I needed, didn't have the personal assistant in place that I needed. It was trying to be everything for everybody and see too many people. And, and I remember talking to Ross, one of our therapists and one of my good friends here. And he was like, uh, we we're talking about trauma. And I said, well, well, I've already taken a break. Like I'm only taking a few classes. Here and there, and he was like, "Yeah, but you're taking all the hard ones, you know." So I was waiting around, and I'd, I'd wait until I had to take somebody or felt like it was God telling me to. And then I looked at my caseload, and it was like Monday, you know, car wreck, you know, rape, human trafficking, you know, divorce, abused child, like you know, that was just Monday. And then all the way to yeah. Friday, and I just didn't realize, and and that had been fine for a long time, but I didn't realize like. I also now run a company and have other therapists and I'm having to supervise people. And, and so, yeah, this last year and a half has been you know, trying to figure out how many people to see and how many people to take care of and how many speaking engagements to say yes and no to. And, you know, and it, it is a difficult thing, especially for, I know both of us are helpers and we love to be, you know, do the best and, and, and have good intentions with that. And, uh, a couple of books helped me. One's called the best. Yes. Um, and uh-huh. it's a really good book about, you know, saying no to things and giving your best. Yes. And then the other one was recent uh, was like last October before last it's called um, the, the ruthless elimination of hurry. Have you heard of that? John Mark? Homer. No,
1: I think you mentioned it on one of your other podcasts, but and yeah. I, I remember I was like, I need to read that. It's
0: really good. <laughs> but it's just talking about Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was always busy and he always had things to do, but he was never in a hurry. And yep. so, you know, he's on the way to heal this lady um, or this this girl, this little kid and the lady who comes and touches his garment and gets healed from the the bleed. Like, he, if he would have been in a hurry, he would have never stopped to be able to tend to what God wanted him to do and what was his right. best yes, so to speak, if we integrate both those books. So, yeah, it's the same thing, man. I mean, we all think and we're, you know, we're the same age, we're in the same season of life with kids and young kids. And it's such a you feel so old, like, you know, but you also feel like a baby half the time when you're trying to learn to be mature and differentiate. And I think for people listening, like, you know, you look at people who are doctors at the Mayo Clinic or professionals like myself, and sometimes you might think, oh, they have it all together, or, you know, they've got everything figured out. And it's like, no, we're all just kind of doing the best we can and trying to be good enough and, and, and figure this out. So, I appreciate that vulnerability from you. It's really, really helpful. It reminds me I'm not the only one too.
1: No, no. And I, and I, 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 you know, and then so, so to kind of fast forward, like after that, there, there was a a moment um, that it all kind of came to not a screeching halt, but it just really kind of almost like blew up in my face a little bit, just realization of like some habits I had gotten into and some coping mechanisms that were very negative. And just not listening to people telling me I wasn't doing that well and just feeling like I could fix it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can fix this. I can fix this. If I work out harder, I can fix this. If I, if I try to sleep a little better, I can fix this, you know, um, and and realizing that it's it's there's a lot that goes into what was happening. And a lot of it really was my sort of my drive and my expectations that I kind of had to reassess. And so I did, I took, I took some, I took, you know, a little bit of time. I think we would, luckily we had like a little vacation coming up and I was just like, you know what, I just need to kind of pray about this and think about this. And it, it sort of hit me like, just try to say no to someone, Mm -hmm. you know, it was sort of like, just do it, just try it, just try it on, you know? And just simple things like I had to start really small and I had to just kind of say no to something real simple, you know? And then I was like, Ooh, how'd that feel? Ooh, you know, like dipping the toe in the water. And then, Absolutely. and then eventually I realized, Oh, guess what? These people still come back and ask you for stuff. They still, yeah, like the
0: needs you, never, you know? yeah, the I'm needs like, never end.
1: I, I had to like say yes to everyone. What am I thinking? Like this is ridiculous. They're still going to come back and ask me to do things. So then I got, then it was empowering. Right. Cause then I'm like, Oh, I can set this boundary with this person, they're not, they're not like all upset and offended. I'm not, offended. I actually feel better. Cause I didn't say yes to that thing. Yeah. And even you know, if they are and, offended,
0: they're not offended for long. You know what exactly, I mean? Like, I mean, sometimes exactly. they're offended because you set a boundary, but then like they have to work through their own stuff with that and see you for yeah. who you are. And, and you know, and if, if they're super toxic, they'll go away. But if they're not, then they will yeah. they'll come back and you'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. Or we'll talk about it. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the mature mm-hmm. way that we could we could handle it and uh so anyway um so again got better at saying no got better at asking for what i wanted which i wasn't very good at um and i had a few things that it actually towards the end of me about to leave north carolina to come come down here like stuff just stuff to do with like how much vacation i was going to get between duty stations and things like that um you know like i had to i vouched for myself and i felt good about it yeah and like and, and i'll tell you my wife was a big helper she was like you need to go ask for this and vouch for yourself you know, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, all right, I'll do it. Cause she's very, yeah, you've met Katie. She's yeah. very like, this is how it is. This sure. is what I want. Very this much like doing. JC for I sure. I mean, she asked me out, right? Yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's the real story. She asked me out in med school cause I was too scared to ask her. So anyway, she's, she's always know what she wants. Right. So, um, so anyway, just learning through kind of experience, again, taking small steps and just being in a different mindset. And I'm like, you know what? Like <clears throat> I'm happier. I'm more, I, I'm more balanced. I feel more content. I'm still doing some stuff. I'm just not trying to do everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was very, it was very good experience right before I came to my next duty station, which was being a faculty for family medicine residents back here in Jacksonville. And I'll tell you, I I absolutely love that job. I mean, that was just a great experience. I love teaching, interacting with the residents, helping them through, being able to tell them my story that I just told, um, on this podcast about, really struggling in North Carolina and kind of what that, what that was and what that meant and how I, how, you know, luckily I had really great support around me and, and through just a personal journey, was able to kind of work through that. Um, so yeah, that was the, that the two years there was really fantastic. And it, honestly, if I could have stayed and worked there forever, I might have, but, um, and then luckily again, this, this job at Mayo Clinic kind of fell in my lap at the last, not the last minute, but it was pretty close. I would already had like two, two or three interviews at other places. I was actually, about to work out a contract. And, um, and then here, here we were, you know, they kind of fell in my lap. I, and again, my wife was like, you need to go interview them. I was like, I don't know. It's going to be like the military. You know, they're going to tell me what to do all the time. And she was like, no, it's not. It's fantastic. You need, you need just, just email them and tell them you want to interview. And I was like, okay. So I emailed the, you know, the people and, and they were so gracious and so helpful. And I came and interviewed, and I was like, this place is absolutely fantastic. I was like, this is the kind of place that I want to practice medicine please hire me, please hire me. Um, so then it, it, again, it worked out. I was, uh, I got hired in December of 2019. And then,
0: well, um, and yeah. it's so fun. I mean, it's so funny that you say that because I mean, that's so many of us is that we, you know, and I won't get into all your family system drama, but you know, like the reality is we all have stuff from our past that shape the way we cope and the way that we accept what we deserve and ask for what we need. And, you know, even as adults with families and, and wives, thank, you know, thank God for our wives being women who challenge us and, and challenge us to oh, yeah. ask for what we need and, and demand in some areas for us to be the healthiest version of us. And yeah. thank God for his grace that, <clears throat> you know, instead of getting mad about that, we learn to have some humility and eat some, you know, humble pie. <laughs> yeah. And, and like <laughs> do the right thing. So I'm super proud to do right. that because you do deserve it. You're a great, you know, great person, a great doctor and you know your your patients would be missing out on something if you weren't there so proud yeah, of you man That's thank awesome. you yeah.
1: appreciate that um <clears throat> so, so then um so working it started working so of course this is the last little bit of drama that happened so you know my so my wife's pre- was pregnant at the time of yeah my third i was child. gonna
0: get into that yeah
1: and then um and then i got deployed <laughs> for COVID, which was which was not ideal i remember uh, seeing
0: you in the paper i was like man look at this fancy guy down where did you go to I'm dallas or you, something texting. what where did you, where yeah, did so you get I to to go? Yeah.
1: I was in Dallas for two <clears> weeks, and then um, it was through various, um, you know, ways that um, that they realized they didn't necessarily need us in the local area at that time. Um, then I ended up in Baton Rouge, actually, and um, and the Navy was actually in Baton Rouge for quite a while. So, um, so basically, there was uh, uh, I was there. I didn't actually end up seeing any patients while I was there, but it was at Baton Rouge Regional. And uh, we just supported the local, you know, physicians um, to be able to see COVID patients, COVID positive patients. So, um, and I'll tell you, man, that was just, it was kind of was like being back a little bit like home for me, you know, because I haven't lived in Ruston for three years or four years and knowing a lot of people from South Louisiana, you know, really had that Southern comfort, you know, and Mm. I was like, oh man, this is like really, just really good people, you know, just good, nice people. It was really nice to do that. Um, And then I came home um, at the end of April and then we had our third baby and then I got out of the Navy and here i'm at mayo clinic so yeah
0: that's a good story yeah, yeah. i mean I'm, I'm, i appreciate you sharing all that um i think for people you know people you know the thing about the podcast that i love is like getting to hear people's stories and then give people information so they have context so i know one story that we t- kind of talked about on the phone recently and, and we can get into that when we get there but so for four people let's get into kind of the the meat of the podcast so we, you know we got another hour hour and a half to, to kind of Talk so just to give you a kind of timeline, we're good. Um, but talk about like healthcare, where we've come from, where we've been to now, and kind of what what you see about that changing and being different and good and bad and w- everything in between. I don't know if that's a lot, but
1: yeah, yeah, man, that's um, great question. So I think that um, you know, again for won't go all the way back to when, you know, doctors or physicians were kind of a thing, but I mean, if you think about it for a very, very long time relative to the amount of time physicians have identified themselves as caretakers and medical experts, there really wasn't a whole lot, you know, doctors could really do, you know, like there wasn't, there was a few treatments they could maybe offer that were more natural remedies Um, obviously they could, they could provide kind of a compassionate presence. They could maybe try to identify what's going on with the patient, but in general, um, they were really more of just like supportive, kind of helpful, maybe a couple little treatments here and there. Um, you know, and, and that's really even up to the recent history. So you think about, think about like the early 1900s. Um, there was, there really weren't no medications. I mean, there were some different substances we were using to try to treat different things, uh, to, <laughs> Cocaine on chlor- the
0: teeth and, and yeah. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Cocaine in the nose and different things. Uh, very interesting treatments that we were using, but, um, but, uh, but eventually, you know, as far as like the first medication, true medications that came on the market, you know, that was really penicillin. And that was in that kind of 50s time frame, 40s, 50s. So, Which is um, insane
0: to think about. Like, right. you know, that's only, you know, what, I guess 50 is 50, 60, 70 years ago, you know, in history. Yeah. It's just crazy.
1: Yeah. I know. We think and, we're so and, advanced
0: and it's just like, oh, yeah, we were still yeah. cutting, you know, veterans brains open, you know, and, yep. and so that they didn't have PTSD in the, you know, yeah. 50s. It's just crazy.
1: Yeah, lobotomies, right? Lobotomies yeah. was a thing. So, um, yeah. So, there were some really like kind of archaic, maybe even barbaric surgical procedures that were offered. And then otherwise it was like, I have this photo that I like, that I, like kind of keep around. It's called the country doc. It was this time magazine sort of expose of like what it meant to be a country doctor. And it was it, like, pretty much all the pictures, the doctor's just sitting at the bedside with a sick patient, you know, like not really able to do a whole lot, right. but just there. right? Um, and, and it's interesting because the word doctor is actually from the Latin word docere, which means to teach. So really the, the essence to me of being a doctor is being able to teach, again, a large, you know, we get a large amount of knowledge, but then, but then it's like, what is that? It doesn't really mean a whole lot if I can't help a patient kind of understand and learn what's really going on with them and what we're trying to do. You know, I think I think that's a huge part of what we're one of the things that we kind of miss out on, I think, for, for various reasons. But again, I always try to remember teaching is really one of my main, um, main goals and, and really roles as a professional physician. So um, so then kind of fast forward through the development of, again, through World War II, there's employer health insurance, right, which was, again, not a thing, really, you would you either paid in cash or you paid with your chickens on the farm, you know, it was mm-hmm there's different models of care were started to form. Um, and again, over the years we've kind of, we designed a system. And I think initially it wasn't malintentioned at all. It just was designed around, well, you get paid, like I'm a doctor and I get paid because I do some things for you. I I either do a procedure on you or I give you some kind of medication or some kind of injection. And then I get paid more because I did some more things to you Mm. uh, as a patient. And, and again, I don't, again, I don't think the intentions were, bad and how that formed, but that's, that's the system we're in, right? That's the fee for service, if you will. So you can see where priorities can get a little out of line with what's really best for the majority of people that walk through the door.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah. Cause it's a mess and, right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So then again, you have the health insurance industry kind of gaining speed. You have the pharmaceutical industry gaining speed as more medications are developed and more medical medication, medication technologies are developed. I mean, even in what was it, 2019, in just 2019, 48 new medications came on the market just in 2019. It's crazy. Um, And a lot of them are little niche medicines for little different, you know, very niche type diagnoses and things like that. But just puts it in perspective of how many different pharmaceuticals we're dealing with right now. um, That I mean, I'll have patients come in with a medication list. I'm like, I don't know what three of those are. I've never even heard of them. You know, so I'm like, I have to look them up, I have to figure out what they are. What are they doing? so, so that's, you know, just a perspective on that. And then more recently, it's really been kind of the big growth has been hospital administration. So administration in medicine has been kind of the latest sector to kind of grow and and become very popular. And, um, you know, I have, I, I really do enjoy working with our hospital administrators, but that's not everyone's experience. So again, we, we end up in these models of care where it's, it's, you know, different priorities end up where patients don't necessarily get put at the top, which is where, you know, to me, the the, the the physician or provider-patient relationship is really should be kind of the pinnacle of what everything kind of underneath sort of supports, whereas there's, again, and that's my opinion, right? So that there's different models of how that should go. But, I mean, in my experience and, and the studies would even show that if if a patient doesn't trust have trust with the person they're sitting in front of, uh, how much are they really going to do for what they recommend and say?
0: Absolutely. And if
1: you look at things like malpractice <clears throat> claims, for example, one of the most common reasons a patient is actually suing a, a physician, it's not necessarily because of – a, a profoundly neglectful, um, action, or a, a, a definitely not a, like a malicious action, but it's more lap breakdowns in communication, lack of trust The do, you know, maybe the doctor didn't listen, wasn't listening to me, you know, stuff like that. Like it's more kind of communication based issues. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, what would make sense to me is to have a, um, a system that supports really healthy physician patient communication and interaction, uh, uh and again we can go into why that matters later but the that if that is really the main goal of the institution then really a lot of the other stuff should kind of fall into place yeah for sure you, know, you don't you may not necessarily have to like monitor certain metrics all the time and have a spreadsheet that you're tracking um or or you know talk about how your productivity as the as the doctor is not where it should be and you're not meeting this metric because we need you to hit you know you need to see this many patients per day but you're not you know you're only seeing this many patients per day. you know again i think that that can breed some mistrust in the medical system patients feel like they're kind of not listened to they come in and they get what like five minutes at most with the doctor the doctor's distracted oh, yeah. they're trying to pipe their note on the computer because the there's a there's a thousand new things from the administration that they have to document that may not necessarily be relevant clinically but they, they have to get it done because they want to get home to their families at the end of the day you know and and they're and again they start expressing those symptoms of what do you, if you want to call it burnout, I'll call it adjustment disorder with depressed mood where they're depersonalizing, they're being irritable. Um, yeah, I mean, all the, all, yeah. for
0: sure. I mean, it, we, and we talked about this the other night and I've talked about it with a bunch of doctors, but you know, it's, we're all humans and we're in these systems where people forget that and they're the humanity part of it and how humans function and how their brains and their emotions function. It becomes the last thing that we're looking at and dealing with yeah. whether it's the doctor or the patient. And and you get in an office and you've had a miscarriage or you have cancer or you have some issue and the doctor's already, you know, seen a hundred people like you and they have a hundred things to do and to survive, they've, you know, repressed all of their emotions and feelings and experiences and, and since they don't know that that's even happening because they have no training, you know, now the patient's sitting there like, you really don't even see me as a person, you just see me as a number in a, in a diagnosis in a book and, you know, that is a major problem because the person is a whole person. And if they're talking about something that they feel and they're talking about something that's emotional and you just shut that down because it's not, it doesn't fit within the time or the, you know, the model or the paperwork or whatever, then you get bad information. And I talk about this with lawyers. You know, if you have a client who is in a personal injury case and and you're doing the same thing because you don't understand trauma and you don't understand the human mind, then they give you bad information on the stand. They give you bad information Mm -hmm. about the accident and Yeah. So if we could have a system in which people like myself and you collaborate to train, to work with people, doctors, lawyers, you know, people who are dealing with humans on how humans actually work and to be more trauma informed is what I would call it, you know, therapeutic and how you do it. It doesn't mean you need to spend an hour and a half with somebody being a therapist. Like, that's my job. But if you, it's so simple to give a caveat or two more extra sentences because you know what you're doing that can make the whole system work way better for everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, I think, um, you know, there's also this, I, I think this kind of the culture of medicine has kind of morphed into this. There's like an expectation, you know, again, I, I think you mentioned this on the nutrition uh, podcast you did, but you go to the doctor and then you like expect to get something, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like a prescription, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, so what I would, um, and a little plug here for lifestyle medicine is I am going to, uh, one of the first things I'm going to develop is a prescription pad for lifestyle changes. So if, you, if you're coming in That's and you awesome. want a prescription, uh, your prescription will be, maybe it's more physical activity. Maybe it's reducing salt in your diet to lower your blood pressure. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's um, some, some simple tips on how to you know, cut down on or try to quit a nicotine product for example you yeah. know so that that would be the prescription it wouldn't be a medication
0: man that's awesome um, and people need that tangible thing too because you can tell them face-to-face to do this but when you give them homework and you actually write it down or have them write it down there's something about that that just you know cl- connects with people you know so huge yeah. that's awesome man i love yeah. that
1: idea yeah for sure so so, so can- yeah so i think we're. So, yeah go ahead
0: no just go ahead
1: I was going to say, we're, I just think we're in a we're in a we're in an interesting culture now in the medical community. I do think it's shifting. You know, I think there's a there's a bigger emphasis now on the in kind of going back to probably really what it kind of was, you know, years and years ago before we had anything we could really do other than be just kind of a compassionate bedside presence, um, and and kind of help people through and navigate, you know, what was going on with them. Um, and I think there has to be some acceptance, um, again, culturally, that there are there's just things that we in medicine don't still don't understand well. Um, there are things that we can't necessarily cure. There's not always a pill to just fix symptoms that occur. Um, sometimes things kind of have to be done the hard way, and sometimes things are just a part of life, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's there's like, some acceptance on the patient end, and then I think there's also some acceptance on the physician end. To, to just understand that, okay, is, is what I'm doing to this patient really helping them? Is this really improving their quality of life? Or, um, or is this, like, going to cause a side effect that's going to now have to be offset by another medicine to then treat Man, that side yeah. effect that's going to interact with another medicine that's going to cause another side effect? You know, you get into side effect rodeo. Um, and, uh, and I'll tell you, so, so two of my favorite things to do is to deprescribe. When i meet patients i'll just start taking meds off their list i'm like you don't need that you don't need that, you don't need that. that's probably not helping that's interacting with that yeah that's uh, so that's that really makes me happy <laughs> and then um and then again focus on um and I, I focus a lot on quality of life i use that i use that phrase a lot in my practice so i, I won't focus so much on you know some metric or some number I'll, I'll ask them hey how's your quality of life you know what can we what can we do to improve your quality of life what's really what's really bugging you that you think man if i could just work on this thing i feel like i would i would be a better quality of life for me okay let's let's you know and again that's how you can kind of gain the patient's priorities out of that that's really good man yeah
0: i mean because the reality is is you take something away from them that they don't want to be taken away they're not going to give it up you know if you're like well i see this is the problem but they don't see it as a problem so if i just tell them that it's a problem you know they never it's the same thing in therapy they don't you know it has to be their idea
1: yeah. Yeah. And again, that gets into, again, hopefully as, as the communication strategies improve, the training improves, you learn, you learn communication strategies like motivational interviewing, mm-hmm. you know, specifically. Um, so, you know, motivationalinterviewing.org, you know, for anybody that's interested, I have no financial relationships, but, uh, again, just the way as a healthcare provider of any, in any discipline to just learn a better way to communicate with your patient and, and make sure that you're really focused on their priorities. And and allowing them to come up with the ideas, right? So I I you know I call it um, learner centered learning, right? So that's also the big that's the good. big push in academic medicine is to is to allow the learner to be the teacher, basically. Mm-hmm. Like they're the ones that are coming up with what may have gone, maybe maybe could have gone better, or maybe the knowledge deficit they might have had, or maybe the communication strategy they should have used but they're the ones that realize it so then they have that insight into what they can maybe go work on so you just you're facilitating as the teacher just helping them come up with the good ideas that they already know and it's the same with i see it the same with patients and that comes with a few things you have to create a safe environment a trusting environment just like you would with a learner right i can't go to a resident and ask them and challenge them to um come up with a way to get, you know, improve maybe the way they could have interacted with the patient if they're scared of me Mm -hmm. or if they think I don't listen to them or if they think that if I, if they say something, I'm just going to ignore them, you know? Um, yeah, that, that has to be a safe environment.
0: Absolutely. And you know, you've heard me say this and people have, they listen to podcasts, but you know, that's a whole, that's literally how the brain works. Like that's trauma informed care. It's, it's people are in their right brain and they're, you know, in fantasy and in music and in art and emotions and they need you to validate them. They need you to make them feel safe. They need you to deescalate all of that before they can learn in their left brain. Their left brain is logic and black and white thinking. And, and so, you know, a lot of us have so much trauma and so much relational stuff going on. And for doctors and learners, like we're all in, you know, it's you're like in crisis. So they're coming to you with a major issue, which for them is crisis. And they're mm-hmm. so right brain focused and so overwhelmed. And we give them all logical things. You know, doctors are like, do this. this." I mean, I remember, I mean, you know, for our own experience with Grady, my oldest, and doing food allergy stuff, we would go, you know, with weeks of no sleep. You know, the night before, he woke up 19 times. We're in the allergist or the doctor. We're telling them the experience. We're emotional. And they're just giving us information. You know, never once did they say, have you been to therapy or do you think this, you know, could be an adjustment, adjustment disorder or PTSD or, you know, whatever Um, your kid almost died two nights ago, you know, whatever, you know, like, let's talk about that. It was always just like, well, this is this and this is that. And, and you can't listen, you can't, you can't take it in because the first thing you need as a human is to be taken care of and validated before you can take that information in. So I think that's a, it's such a great way of looking at it, man. I like that a lot.
1: Yeah yeah so um so again i hope that through again just things like this like this podcast medical students i get to work with and teach uh even just the patients i see i hope i'm, I'm kind of can shift how people view that that relationship they have with their physician and actually see it as a very healthy relationship you yeah. know where they they can come in and they can be vulnerable um and you know like i had a I had a patient come in today and and he was very vulnerable with me and he shared a lot of concerns he's had. And I I was like, thank you. Thank you for coming in and talking to me about stuff that I know is hard to talk about. I mm-hmm. really appreciate you doing that. You know, simple, simple things, simple communication strategies that just allow people to know, Hey, I'm here for you. I'm listening. And I want to try to help, you know, and, and, in and in help in a way that's not, here's this pill, come back in three months. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Let's, let's find a strategy that makes sense for you. Let's be practical about this. You that's, know, like, so I'm not going to ask you to quit, I'm not going to sit here and be like, you need to quit smoking when you're not ready to quit smoking. A, and we, we talked about this the other day, but, but B, I give you nothing else to do, right? Smoke, mm. People smoke for a reason. Oh, yeah. Don't take know? anybody's coping
0: mechanisms without giving them something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. If I'm not willing to listen to the why or the drive, or, or maybe they don't even know, maybe they don't even understand why.
0: Well, they definitely you know, don't and that's know. What, <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah, kind of the point, yeah. right? Is it's also that assumption that we don't know everything, but to remember that they need help knowing that they're not just doing it for bad reasons that they usually like haven't ever peeled back the layers of what's the root of the problem. And, yeah, and then yeah, doctors exactly. don't either. So then there's just, right. tri- you know, just symptom treatment. Yep. It's, it's just band-aids over bullet holes. And we're just like, okay, yep. we'll just stop doing this and stop doing this. And you know, guess what? They're back in your office and however many months still smoking or still eating or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Reactive medicine is what I call it. And that's, that's just not, I like proactive medicine. So I also yeah. talk about that a little me, right? bit. Yeah. 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 So it kind of discourages me. Like I hear, like I had a young, you know, young patient I met the other day and came in, I think in the in their twenties and basically like, came in and was like, well, my last doctor always wondered why I came in all the time to do my checkup because they said, I'm I'm healthy and I don't need to be here. And I was like, I'm glad you're here. This is perfect. You know, like this is this is exactly the time that I need to either a make sure you're educated on all the healthy lifestyles that will keep you healthy when you're I say I always tell patients, I want to make sure you're kicking when you're 95. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's that's my goal for you. Um, hopefully that's a goal you have, you know, and if it's not, we'll talk about it, but you know, we want to, and again, I, I'm like, Hey, you know, I want you to get to that retirement age and enjoy your retirement. I don't need you coming to see me all the time. You know, you need to enjoy it. And let's keep, so let's keep you healthy. You're 25 years old in my office. I appreciate, A, I appreciate you being here because a lot of 25 year olds don't go to the doctor and B let's talk about, okay, what are the healthy lifestyle things that I recommend you do? And then if you're doing them already, I'm going to reinforce and encourage you to continue doing those. And I'm gonna let you know I'm here for you. If any of those start falling off the wagon, right? I'm here to talk with you about strategies to get back on those wagons. If you find yourself not exercising for a while, if you find yourself eating really crummy for a while, again, there's seasons in life, and that's okay. And you can come talk to me about it, and we'll we'll figure it out. You know, that's That's and I, you know, simple things like hey, I'm not perfect, you know, and I'm trying, I'm working on these things myself. But I, I, every patient I meet, I don't care if they're you know six years old. If they're 96 years old, I go over the same basic strategies with them, and I make sure they're doing them because it doesn't matter what disease or lack of disease you have; these the lifestyle things we're going to kind of dive into are all helpful and useful. Absolutely, Um, when that's
0: the big difference between I loved you said that like reactive medicine and preventative medicine. You know, preventative, we've gotten so far away from that, and you know, and we can talk about COVID for a minute, but like, you know, this idea. You know, it's the same thing when people come to therapy. There are just some basic things that all of us can control that nobody wants to because we all just want the pill. You know, and yeah. and, and American, you know, consumerism is, is really in the last two decades, especially has pushed us into this idea that, you know, you can have it your way right away. Right. Right now. And we, we don't defer our reward. We don't know. You know, they do the marshmallow test with kids where they put an Oreo or marshmallow and it's like you can wait a few minutes, you get two or you can eat this the large majority of kids eat the one immediately. You know, we, we've no longer been able to wait for the thing and do the right thing we need to do to get the big payoff later. And that's fallen into medicine, mental health, you know, money. I mean, you know, I mean, my goodness, look at the credit debt that everybody's in because they have to have the car, they have to have the house, they have to have the thing right now, not knowing they're going to pay for it at the end of their life. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to have that anxiety relief with the cigarette right now not knowing that it's taking you know seven years off our life you know it's just insane and so yeah. i love what you're talking about from a mm-hmm. medical model because that preventative is gonna it's yeah it's harder on the front end you have to end you're investing in yourself yeah right you're investing in who you are and who you'll be at 90 or if you can be there at 90 you know and i think about my kids all the time like JC and i talk about it, i'm like okay, I need to keep working out. I need to lift weights tonight. I want to go for a walk, you know, because I want to be able to run around with my kids. I want to be able to run around with my grandkids. I don't want to be missing out on all of those things. You know, we, we laugh Mm -hmm. a lot when we're traveling because, you know, especially when JC was breastfeeding, like she'd get up while I'm driving and go back to the back and be breastfeeding and then come back up to the front. And we would always say like, how do people who are out of shape or obese do this? Like, mm-hmm. how do you go pick up your kid's toy when they drop it in the back seat when you can't climb out of the front seat into the back? Then mm-hmm. that might be, seem silly, but it's like there's all these emotional, intimate attachment moments in being able to do those things and getting on the floor with your kids and playing a board game. And millions and millions of people miss those things. And they miss mm-hmm. out on life and connection and attachment because they're not doing the basic things. And mm-hmm. or, and I know you're gonna get in that in just a second, but and, and it's like, why? Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, get into I know you have like seven pillars of what you want to talk about. So so get into that. I wish
1: I had seven. It's only six. Oh six I pillars, maybe my there's bad. A bonus, maybe there's a bonus pillar. Maybe I'll add a there. pillar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Clint Davis pillar. Um so uh yeah, so the six pillars of lifestyle medicine are are really kind of broken down obviously six categories. So so category one is is um nutrition, right? So we'll we can we can talk about that one. We'll talk we can talk about them individually for sure. Uh, category two is is uh, active lifestyle so being active uh, category three is sleep uh, so healthy sleep which i know is a big problem for a lot of people that's again everybody wants a quick fix on but that's one of the toughest ones to work with right oh, for sure uh, category four is reducing or eliminating harmful substances um, for our bodies um, category five is going to be reducing stress and then category six is uh i it's it's by the aclm it's social connection but i just kind of see it as general um kind of psychological wellness right so the the sort of the positive side of your psychology so the social connection the joy the content contentedness um you know all of those kinds of things that you know happiness positivity you know the the stuff that's that makes life enjoyable right so so those are the six pillars of uh of lifestyle medicine and those um and kind of going back to what you were just talking about. Um, unfortunately we haven't designed our medical care system to support putting that investment on the front end of educating um, and again it is a it is a big uh, a big task um, it's not just the medical community it's not just the mental health community it's government and policy it's schools it's uh, you know, daycares it's all this all of those kind of understanding that if these Lifestyle behaviors, parents obviously, as one of the main, you know, main drivers. Absolutely. Um, lifestyle behaviors are taught and demonstrated from early on. They can be maintained and and and, and easily done the rest of your life. You oh, know, again, yeah. thinking of behaviors and habits. So, but if we don't really design our system to support that, then it's it's going to be all reactive, right? So if I, you know, again, and this is the reality, if I get if I get paid more as a doctor because you're sick and you're coming in a lot and needing a bunch of medications and treatments and injections and stuff cut off, well, that's, it's better for my bottom dollar. Right. But if, if for example, and this is a new shift in the way medical payers may start paying for is called a uh, fee for care. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, It's a set dollar amount that a medical facility would get, for example, to just care for the patients they have. Yeah, so that's our
0: doctor on staff, Dr. Mandy Crow, and I know she's going to be on in a few weeks. So then just
1: the incentive shifts, right? So if if you incentivize – and so, for example, if you say, okay, you're going to get this X amount of dollars to take care of this group of patients, but if you – if you get them healthier by these metrics, X, Y, Z, you'll make a bonus amount, like mm. a 20%
0: bonus. Yeah, that's good.
1: So now you're incentivizing, okay, now what we need to work on with patients is getting them healthier, keeping them out of the office. You know, when you have a set amount to pay all your overhead and all your staff, well, you're going to want to reduce your overhead and hopefully not reduce your staff too much. But, you know, you get you get what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, but you don't have idea- to have them yeah. Then the idea then becomes, okay, well, if I can keep people out of my doors, then I don't, I don't need to pay a lot of extra costs. And then, you know, so that keeps them healthy, that keeps them, you know, not getting sick. So that again, kind of shifting the model. So, so, uh, but it's never too late. I tell people to start incorporating these lifestyle changes.
0: Yeah, it's good. I mean, I would say the seventh one, if, since I'm making it up, um, (laughs) is, uh, if I'll add it to your list, is like a a, like forming a foundational positive belief you know because underneath all of that you know modification they can't do it if they don't love themselves if they don't value themselves if they don't have a system underneath all of that in which says i deserve good things you know which because all of those you know all of the terrible things we do for ourselves is trying to cover up and cope with the terrible feelings we have of sadness and grief and loss and loneliness and you know, and so we're just using all of these things, whether, I mean, eating, drinking, you know, not working out to self-destruct. And so that's yeah. where, and I know me and you've talked about this and you believe it, but it's like, that's where the connection of, hey, you need a therapist, you know, like, hey, you need to go work on your mental health and not just your mental health, like coping skills, but you need to figure out what it is that keeps you from not being able to do these things that are the basic building blocks of a healthy life, pillars of a, of a healthy life lifestyle. So, yeah, I mean, that's, it's yeah. good stuff.
1: yeah yeah, the base of uh the the central core of the lifestyle training i've I've done so far the central core theme when again when understanding the the person and the person's motivations is is obviously you know the the middle of that core is the who Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: who am i who am i what what am i what do i do you know that, that defines kind of who i am who am yeah the identity right kind of that basic kind of very inner core you know identification of being comfortable in my you know with who i am i know what i'm about um then then kind of out from that flows all of these other things right so That's great um, but yeah if you don't know who you are if you don't know kind of what you're about um that is something that, that I, I will work on with patients because i'll ask them hey what are, what are your health priorities well, i don't really know i don't really have any you know i'm like okay well let's let's talk about that what, what do you think that is Oh, well, you know, and then we, we kind of peel again, peel the layers back. Well, my parents didn't really talk about it much. And, you know, I didn't, they didn't really didn't, you know, they just ate whatever they wanted and they're overweight and they have, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, and then again, using some of those motivational interviewing skills and learner centered skills. It's like, okay, well, what are your, what do you think is something you might want to avoid in the future? What's a, what's a health condition you may not want? Or what, what about the, your parents situation? Does it concern you if I pick up on that? You know, so kind of letting them realize, oh yeah, I don't really want to have diabetes when I'm, you know, 55 years old. It's like, yeah. okay, well, let's talk about that. Um, and then, and then again, using lifestyle modifications and lifestyle changes, you know, we could, we could get there, you Absolutely. know, and
0: it's also shame. Um, it's also shame reduction. You're, you're not, yeah. you're not saying I have all the answers and you're an idiot and can't believe you're doing your life like this, which a lot of, what, yeah, of you course. know, w- which is a lot of what sometimes medicine is. It's like, we, we are the ones who have all this information for you dummies who need to come in and get your stuff together. And, and people don't say that. And I'm not saying doctors intend that by any means. I don't, this is not about intention, right? I mean, I think l- there are a million doctors out there who have great intentions, who want to help people and they're in a system in which they get lost. And it's the same for us as therapists. It's the same for, um, for all kinds of things is that, you know, we, we lose that motivation. We lose that focus within the system that we're in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's kind of shifting again, hopefully the culture and the environment that we care for patients and to allow again, creating a safe space, where the focus is on, Hey, we're a partnership and I want to understand your priorities, but I also want to make sure, you know, that what, like what I've learned and what I know can be beneficial for you, you know, that can be, it can be helpful for you, Mm -hmm. but I want to meet you in the middle, you know? And again, I, I, I'm, 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 I'll get vulnerable with my patients. Hey, I'm not perfect. You know, like I, I do, I don't do all of these things all the time extremely well. I'm, I'm, I try to be like you always say, I try to be good enough, Mm -hmm. you know, I try to, and I don't, I don't know. And the one thing I used to do a lot is beat myself up for messing up or not doing well with something. But I I like just, I'm like, you know, for example, like you're taught how to, you got to forgive others and forgiveness, like forgive yourself for goodness sakes, you know, learn how to forgive yourself and learn how to move on. Mm -hmm. Right. Like yesterday happened. Okay. Let's move on. Let's do better this time. It's okay. Yeah. I think, I think
0: you know, and for us as Christians, it's like the the forgiveness is already there. all you have to do is accept it right I yeah. mean it's so impossible for us to 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 like let go of our own stuff because it's our stuff. But if we can accept yeah. forgiveness that's already freely given, you know by God, then it's such it's such an it's an easier segue because I know for me when I'm beating myself up about whatever imperfections I have, it's like yeah if i if that if I do that on my merit or my ability to not do those things, then it just eats me up. but if I can really oh, yeah except the scandalous forgiveness that God has given me, then if, I mean, who am I right to forgive myself? If God's already done that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's more just like the the thought processes. No, like for I got sure. to I gotta beat myself up. Cause I, I ate my cake, I ate the cake yesterday. Like I was like, let's talk about that. And again, going back to the nutrition, I really loved, by the way, um, your the Ashley and, and Rachel. Rachel, right. Yep. That did the, yeah. The nutrition podcast. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Just again, relationship with food and our thought processes about food. I even, I just had that discussion with a patient today. Cause I, I mentioned, you know, again, healthy lifestyle. This is, this is for, for nutrition. This is what I recommend. Yeah. Do you hand out so, our, po- well, our I podcast? Did Do
0: you, so you guys start handing out the podcast uh, to people?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to hand it out. Like, just listen to this. No, but she was like, she's like, oh, gosh, I, I had cake yesterday and like acted all guilty. And I was like, well, let's, I was like, I was like, I don't I don't see any food as inherently good or bad. You know, it's just it's just food. Right. Mm-hmm. And then so let's acknowledge that foods have different health profiles. And let's acknowledge that cake tastes really good. Like, that's yep. OK. You know, it's full of sugar and butter and wheat. And that all tastes delicious. You know, let's let's yes. admit that. To most people, to most people. Like, let's admit that tastes delicious and that you enjoyed it and that is okay. Do you, right? do you, but
0: do you still like red velvet? Is that what your thing is? I love
1: red. Yeah. yeah I love right. red velvet cake. Right. Yeah. Don't tell Don't tell my <laughs> secrets, man. <laughs> but, um, but I'm like, but if you ate cake, You know most of the day every day well then yeah you're you're gonna have the health profile of cake is really not that helpful for you you know it may you know like that's how i like to see it right and that's i think what they were talking about is like let's not let's not have a relationship that means it's it's inherently good or inherently bad it's it's just it's just food and let's talk about what foods have a better health profile than other foods and what foods do i know you can eat that will keep you the healthiest the longest and keep you out of my office you know, so that's how I kind of frame it that way. So that's a, that's a kind of a counseling tip. But so since we're talking about food um, in general, the best recommendation is going to be a Mediterranean style diet or Mediterranean style way of eating. I hate the word diet. So I just say Mediterranean style way of eating or lifestyle, if you will. Um, generally plant-based is probably best, but I understand for a lot of people that's, that's not part of their culture. That's not part of what they enjoy. So again, we meet in the middle, right? It's, um, you know, if you eat red meat every day, let's find some strategies to reduce that. You know, I'm not gonna say don't eat red meat to somebody that's a steak and potatoes kind of person. Yeah, yeah. You know, like let's work on that. Freaking let's, liberal let's work with that.
0: What are you a liberal? <laughs> you're a liberal now, you you want people to eat salads? <laughs> I know, I
1: know, you're eating salads, <laughs> rabbit food, man, rabbit food. Absolutely. So uh, I get it, man. I, so I
0: always what, JC I'm like, uh, what did you make? She's like, I made this pasta dish, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, is there meat in this? She's like, no, meat does not have to be in everything. You know, it's like, I know, it's just I an know. instinct, you know, it's like,
1: no, it's like, where's the chicken? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, and Hey, look, and, that, and look, I acknowledge that. Like, it's it's like, Hey, if you, if culturally you like, I have, you know, again, and the other day I had a patient, she's like, I grew up, I grew up in an Italian family. And we love pasta. I was like, okay, then eat pasta. That's fine. Like, and I'm not going to tell you to eat whole wheat pasta. Cause let's be honest. It does not taste that It's great.
0: terrible. And it's not that much yeah. better for you.
1: It's just like, it's just not that satisfying, you know, like in all reality. And I'm, you know, shame on me for saying that, I guess. But anyway, I just say, Hey, look, let's, let's just focus on portions or let's focus on the frequency. You know, like those are things, those are things that I think would be reasonable um, to think about and, you know, what could work best for you and kind of throw it back to the patient and go, Mm -hmm. you know what? I could probably just eat it less frequently during the week. Okay, perfect. That's your first goal. You just set your first goal, you know, go from, go from every night to like five nights a week. You know, it's your first goal and then and, and substitute it with X, mm-hmm. you know, again, giving people something else that they can use in lieu of the thing you're asking them to stop. You know, that's that's a huge part of lifestyle counseling is to go. And it's easy for me to say, don't eat pasta. But I have to go, okay, well, I, I would advise you not to probably don't need to eat as much pasta, but what else can you eat? Yeah. You know, you could maybe, maybe try quinoa, maybe try lentils. Spaghetti try, squash you know,
0: is really good when, uh, JC spaghetti has this squash, thing. Zucchini that she, squash yeah, or zuc- zucchini noodles. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's super good, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So again, just other ideas of like, okay, maybe try this instead, yeah. you know? Um, so really, and honestly, to be honest, that's really kind of it when it comes to the nutrition piece. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not really complex. The way I break it down simplest to patients is I say, try to eat food that looks real.
0: Right. Look at the back like, of the box and if it has 17 ingredients, you might not want to eat it.
1: Yeah. And honestly, if it's in a box, you probably shouldn't eat it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let's be honest. So, so, and again, I, 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 I it's not, you know, I, I don't like to talk in absolutes, but the general idea is if the food has been changed in some kind of way, processed, if you will, hmm um, usually stuff gets added to it in that processing feature, unless you did it yourself, right? Like and like you made the smoothie, you made the granola bar, whatever that's, you know, what's in it, right? No big deal. But you go into the store and you buy something in a package. Well, you know, look at the label, read it, learn how to read it. Let, go just go talk to a nutritionist, you know, let them help you work through that. Um, or just understand that it's in general, try to focus on foods that just look real. Yep. You know, there it's fruits, it's vegetables, it's nuts. It's using olive oil as a cooking, as a cooking substance. It's, um, it's whole grain carbohydrates like quinoa, lentils, beans, peas, um, you know, barley, oats, things like that in lieu of processed rice, processed pasta, processed bread, cause that's all processed. Right? Yep. So like in Louisiana, I can, I'm not going to show up in Louisiana and be like, "Hey guys, don't eat rice,"
2: you yeah, know? Yeah, like, yeah. come
1: on, let's be and it's, it's just as realistic. It's like, okay, well, maybe we can work on portion sizes. Um, or in the Navy, I had a large Filipino population. I'm like, culturally, rice is huge. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's like it's like I'm not going to ask you to take rice away. I'm just going to ask you to decrease your portion size, or maybe you don't eat it every day. Absolutely. You know, let's work on that. You know, um. So yeah. anyway, that's just just practical, you know, again, be practical work. You know, that's, that's what I would advise a healthcare provider to do is be practical with your patient, work with them, meet them in the middle, you know, support them and encourage them, give them the knowledge that'll help.
0: Well, you're also speaking to them as an individual instead of a group. You know, I think that's one of the biggest problems in so many systems now is that we, because of uh, efficiency quote unquote and money, we want to give everybody the general answer. You know, we want to say everybody needs to do this. Everybody needs to do that. Everybody who's this should do this. You know, and it's like, man, we have to break it down of like, you tell me about you and what you can tolerate and what you can't tolerate and what your family system is and what you're used to and how that affects you emotionally. And yeah, that takes time. And you might not make as much money, you know, long term, but you, man, you make the world a lot better place. You get yeah, people to absolutely. do what you're asking them to do, and make changes. And that in itself is such a payoff that you can never imagine.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that that's pretty much kind of the nutrition piece in a, in a nutshell. Huh, pun intended see what i did there yep except for your
0: aller- allergy guys you know like it's it's a struggle i will give a shout out to the allergy people i know that you're know, talking about yeah. food can always be like well i can't do any of that because i can eat like 12 things so again it's always just doing right. finding a way to do what's best for you and your body size and, and who you are um
1: yeah yeah exactly and and, and again like that's my other caveat is like look the mediterranean diet is kind of the general recommendation but let's work together on what's going to work best for you yep. you know maybe that's we cool. incorporate a couple of the strategies underneath mediterranean but maybe there's some other things that just make more sense for you maybe you do have some sensitivities or allergies that we have to we definitely need to keep that off your radar um and we'll be smart about that and we'll work with our nutrition team and stuff like that but um you know again i think i think for the the average person out there that's maybe looking for that kind of advice or what should i be doing um that that's generally what i what i let's the go to right so and, and, I, and i'll tell you in our world in medicine the mediterranean diet as as it as it's studied uh has um just just tons of evidence of proven benefit mm-hmm. to not only reduce the chances of getting things like high blood pressure uh blockages in the arteries of the heart or heart disease and heart attacks strokes diabetes cancer but even if you've already had those things happen it reduces the chances of it happening again, right? And it can, in fact, there is good evidence now that we may even be able to reverse diabetes with just lifestyle modifications. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, which is kind of mind blowing because it's it, traditionally it's always been get them on med get them on medicine, give them insulin. That's the only way to treat diabetes. And now we're realizing, well, actually, if you get it, if you do intensive lifestyle changes, you can actually just reverse the whole disease process because it's a metabolic derangement. Absolutely, meaning, yeah, so. Um, but again there's a whole lot that goes into that right so that's <laughs> yeah, it's that's not super simple. The, the that's another of all of this, yeah the other podcast yeah that's the undertones of all of this is that the, we're asking people to change their behaviors and that is a very difficult thing to ask people to do mm-hmm. for many many reasons and you know that much better than i do so um so uh but
0: okay so let's <laughs> keep people on track so we're so we did what pillar are we on here
1: that's nutrition so exercise or our active lifestyle so active lifestyle um in general, that's how kind of I like to frame it. So I don't like to frame it as exercise because I think people think, oh, well, if I can't if I can't go out and do an hour a day of exercise and then I'm I'm not I just can't do it. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do exercise. And so I don't want to think of it like exercise. And what's interesting, if you think about it, um humans thousands of years ago, maybe even hundreds of years ago, they probably didn't actually exercise because it wouldn't have made any sense, right? If you spend no. all day picking berries and finding nuts and trying to kill an animal yeah herding you're cows you're, you're getting water you're herding cows you're you know you, whatever you're doing you're doing it all day why would you come back to your cave or wherever the heck you're living and lift a rock a hundred times <laughs> you know work out of the day crossfit bro you know you gotta like yeah, go full sure. of, like why would you do that that makes no sense so like from a from a human history standpoint exercise is a pretty new um kind of thought or concept or or phenomenon, you know, like the, the treadmill, you know, like that's, that's all pretty new. So yeah, because we can,
0: we can entertain ourselves and sit around. Like, I mean, I'm a therapist. I sit all day long, you know, like I try to get up and stretch and go work out and do those things, but it's like, you have to now because of how convenient life is for all of us and how comfortable we, not everybody. I mean, there's tons of people who have really hard lives who work their butts off every day but a oh, lot a lot more people don't have to do that than used to for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I just remind people like I'm what I want to focus on is just discussing an active lifestyle. So, you know, th- set an alarm on your phone every 30 minutes to get up and move, you know, getting up once an hour is definitely recommended. Try to walk around for a minute or two, maybe do some push-ups, maybe do some air squats, you know, do do a breathing exercise, you know, do something where you're getting up and you're moving and you're just changing your environment. I also stretch. remind people cuz I yeah. Just stretch. Like I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of professionals in the area and I, I remind them, especially now everybody's working from home, which is a whole nother, we can talk about that later, but, um, you know, the in the professional world or no matter what you do, your productivity goes up if you take regular breaks, believe mm-hmm. it or not, you, don't, you know, it's not sitting at a computer and trying to do something for more than, really more than 20 minutes to 30 minutes is usually kind of productive. you know, you kind of get, especially after lunch, right? We've all been there, oh, you know, sure. you're dozing off, you're reading the same sentence 15 times, you're not really paying attention to what you're doing. So that's your cue to get up and move um, and, uh, and you know, set that alarm, get up and move take the stairs, walk from the back of the parking lot, you know, stuff that's just totally out of the normal, right? Like we're always fighting over that parking spot really close to the target or the wherever we're going. And you get frustrated when you can't park real close. It's like, no, just park in the back. There's always spots in the back. Absolutely. We call, it, what I mean? we call it, we call it
0: Tarjay in Louisiana, Stephen. Excuse
1: me. Tarjay, Tarjay. I know you guys got that French, that French <laughs> stuff going on. So, uh, so, uh, but, but yeah, like park in the back and walk and take the extra time to walk, you know, like you never know, like, Maybe when you're walking from the back of the parking lot, you look up at the sky, you might see some birds up there, you know, that you never would have noticed, you know, so it's just sim- just simple stuff. So I go through some, totally. some ideas. A lot of people don't like treadmills, right? Like they're just, you know, like I did, I did this. Can't I mean, stand on a treadmill. Anyway, I don't like treadmills. I was going to say something about a, a gym here that has treadmills, but I'm like, I don't need to, I'm not going to put that out there, but. I don't like treadmills. I don't like treadmills. So, um, and I think a lot of people don't like treadmills. So, I'd like to talk to people about let's be practical about your activity, right? So, maybe it's a walk around your neighborhood with your wife at night, or your or your spouse or whoever. Uh, maybe it's a whole family outing, right? Your whole family. You 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 do dinner and you all go. You put all your phones down. And you go take a walk. Yep. Right. I mean, luckily, I live in Florida. It's it's generally pretty much every day you can go outside. It's mostly sunny all the time. There's very few days you actually have to put a jacket on. You know, so it's like, there's no excuse to not get out after dinner and go take a walk right around your neighborhood. Yeah. Everybody can wake
0: up and set their alarm and do 10 minutes of stretching. Yes. I mean, literally just bend over. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not every single person. There are people who can't get up and do it, but for the majority that we're talking to the general public, you know, we can get up and, you know, roll our shoulders and, and breathe and touch our toes or at least try to, and, you know, move around a little bit, shake our hips, you know, all the things that we need to do. And that literally, I mean, I do this every almost every morning for jiu-jitsu, and it's like it takes me like 10 minutes to do my whole body. And now I'm not super yep. stretched out, but it's just like it's a routine that I try to get into, and I forget about it, and, and then I pay for that. But the reality is, is like when I'm doing it, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do this. And then I'm like, I literally got a glass of coffee, sat down in the little the room. My son's next to me talking to me while I'm just stretching really quick. Like, mm-hmm. But, man, that starts my day off with such a purpose and such a, like, you know, the right oxytocin and the right chemicals and all those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, and again, this is again, where I like to customize with patients. Okay. Um, yeah. You don't like gyms. I get that. A lot of people don't. So what, what do you like to do? And they're, they're like, I don't know. What'd you do when you were younger? I really like throwing the Frisbee. Well, Why don't you find a way to throw the Frisbee, you know, go outside and throw the Frisbee. The best exercise or activity is fun exercise. Absolutely. Activity, right. Cause that's sustainable. You don't even know your heart rate's getting up cause you're having a good time. You know, that's the stuff that that's, going to, going to last you. So, um, so again, I like to work with people on that, but I I just like to focus on it being an active lifestyle. You know, the traditional recommendation is 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise every week, uh, moderate intensity defined as difficult to hold it full conversation. So that's like a brisk walk. That's kind of a a bike ride where you're pushing it a little bit. Um, That could be a a simple little game you're playing outside where you're moving, you know, kind of, kind of gingerly, you know, that's, that's moderate intensity. So anything above that is is more what we call vigorous exercise and then g- in general you can get less of that and then um, there's actually a big study just published out of the United Kingdom that showed um, they actually tracked accelerometers on people so like the technology that's in Fitbits and Apple watches and they and they they tracked over many years and they realized that the more active someone was the more healthy they were in terms of outcomes right so they mm-hmm. had less heart attack less stroke less high blood pressure less diabetes less cancer so that. Surprise, that, that surprise. was- like many, that was a linear relationship. So that yeah. the more active they were, the less likely they were to have these things they were dealing with when they were older. So, so again, just a plug there that shows more is better to an extent. And then I also say anything's better than nothing. Okay. So don't <laughs> feel sure. overwhelmed that you have to do some crazy, super intense, high, high intensity, you know, cr- yeah, cr- whatever, cross CrossFit, whatever you want to call it, just that so you don't have to do crazy stuff. Hit just, just move. Yeah. yeah just, move, you know, so that's, yeah, yeah, peanut, yeah, bro, uh, beach body. Anyway, um, so that's pretty much exercise, kind of in a, a nutshell there. So, mm-hmm. and then the next pillar would be sleep. So, and this is you could probably have a whole podcast on sleep, or right. at least I could. I could do. I could talk for a long time about sleep, but um, here's the nitty gritty. Um, the recommendation is seven to nine hours every night of of ideally high quality sleep where you're you're restful where it's easy relatively easy to fall asleep relatively easy to stay asleep and then of course you're not getting up to have to go to the bathroom a million times you know if that if that's happening come see your doctor we'll talk about it um there's some practical ways to, to keep that at bay Um, but sleeping, sleeping problems and sleeping issues is something I see a lot of people come to me for, and they may even come to you for, Mm -hmm. and, um, in general, I see that as a symptom of something else going on because it's very rare to have primary insomnia, um, where they truly just can't fall asleep. It's, there's usually something else going on. So we kind of try to unpack that. We talk about healthy sleep strategies, sleep hygiene, as we call it. Um, and making sure that we talk about a practical kind of nighttime routine and then what's going to, what are you going to do when I wake up at 2am and I'm tossing and turning and can't go back to sleep? What do I do then? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think everybody wants some medicine and I'll tell you the, even the sleep specialists, the American uh, sleep society, uh, highly recommends against using medication to help you sleep. Yep. So, and that's over the count, not, not necessarily melatonin. Okay. I'm okay. That's, that's generally accepted as, as, as totally fine. It's very safe, but pretty much anything else, Benadryl, your Tylenol PM, which is basically just Benadryl. Um, you know, those are the antihistamines that help you feel sleepy. You've got all the sleep medicines out there, Ambien, Unesta, Sonata, um, you know, different rest different types of sleep medicines. They're not sustainable. They come with side effects and some of them have a risk of dementia. So, yep. so I, I, I and have they a don't let conversation. you,
0: they don't let you, is it true? They don't let you get to REM sleep.
1: They, uh, it's not that you don't get to REM sleep. They blunt your, they blunt the initial portion of sleep, which is usually the more restorative sleep. Uh-huh. So when you get down to stage four, you're very deep sleep, which is usually in the first two hours after falling asleep, yeah, deep sleep, not um, REM sleep, yep. Yeah. So that's blunted by these medications. It's also blunted by alcohol. So um, I remind people like alcohol might help you feel sleepy and get to sleep at night. And again, you may be using it as a, and again, we'll talk about this more in harmful substances, but um, you may be using it as a way to cope or or be sleepy or reduce anxiety or whatever, uh, or numb, whatever emotional pain you're having. Um, But you're not going to sleep well Mm -hmm. with it. You may feel like you're going to sleep really good after you drink a little bit because you feel sleepy, but that it, it blunts that time that you go down into the deeper sleep. And then of course, um, you know, that, that doesn't restore you as well. So, um, there's a lot of strategies. You can look it up on the ACLM about how to make your sleep environment as ideal as possible, different little things, little tricks you can do to get into the mode of sleep, to actually get your body more tired. I do remind people that light, any light, but definitely blue lights from like phones, our screens is very, very stimulating to our brains, So really advise not doing that prior to going to bed. And then definitely not when you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't, you're tossing and turning. So, so pulling up your iPhone or your phone and looking through a bunch of stuff, uh, that's just going to make you more awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, um, it, I always remind people, if you remember the last time you went camping, um, remember how tired you felt when the sun went down and you think it's got, you're like, Oh geez, it's gotta be like 11 o'clock. And you look at your, you know, your, your watch and it's like eight thirty. And you're like, why am I so tired? It's because your body's doing its normal thing, which is when the sun goes down and the and the pineal gland doesn't have the light stimulation coming mm-hmm. in, the melatonin levels start to go up naturally. And that makes you feel tired and sleepy and makes you want to go to sleep. Yeah. So all these artificial lights we have in our house, I, I tell people when when you're when you're closing in on that bedtime, the lights need to keep getting lower and lower and lower. You know, you've already missed sunset, so but it needs to be a lamp in the corner, not the big kitchen light that's on. You need to be careful with spending 30 minutes on your iPhone when you're right before you're about to try to go to bed. Um, and then other things I recommend are things like, again, a stretching routine, mindfulness, doing a mindfulness exercise, for example, um, praying, you know, whatever it is that's more of a calming um, and and peaceful type um, uh, activity definitely can help you get into more of the sleep mindset so just a couple of quick strategies there
0: that's good yeah i mean we think it's like just with kids but the reality is, is as humans we all need that transition from the chaos of the day to going straight to sleep most exactly. of us are so busy you know in, in a hurry so to speak that we we're trying to entertain you know it's like you work all day you get home you put the kids down you eat dinner and then you want to entertain yourself as much as possible before you do it all over again and it's right. like you entertain yourself right up to you know for me nine o'clock and then i'm like you know,
1: yeah, now again, a lot of these recommendations are for people who feel like they are having a, a, a little bit of a difficult time of sleep. I will say that even people that feel like they sleep just fine with like the TV on. Mm-hmm. And- I'm on my iPhone right before I fall asleep. Like it's, it's probably not, you're probably okay, but it's not ideal, right? Right. It's not the ideal way to kind of, and I'm guilty, man. I, I'm on, I get in bed, I get on Google news and I'm like, what crazy stuff happened today, you know, (laughs) trying to figure out
2: what's going on.
1: And then, you know, I start feeling sleepy and I put my phone down and I fall asleep, you know, but, so I probably shouldn't do that. Um, So, so I'm, I'm, uh, I need to practice what I preach, but at the same time, people that do feel like they're struggling with their sleep or having a difficult time getting or staying asleep definitely really, really take a step back and focus on those healthy behaviors of sleep the sleep hygiene. And yeah. again, if you just type sleep hygiene in Google, right, you're going to get all kinds of resources and help. With that. Sure. Go talk to your therapist about that, working on ways to, to do that. And then of course, and what I try to do is I try to identify what, what is this a symptom of, mm-hmm. you know, so go talk to your doctor and, and let them know if you are having some anxiety that seems to be keeping you up or you feel depressed. And maybe because of that, you've gotten into this really weird sleep cycle or, or, you know, so just, just go talk to them. Cool man. So okay,
0: that's three pillars. We got three more.
1: Okay, pillar four is uh, reducing harmful substances or, or eliminating harmful substances. I think the the, the low hanging fruit are the things like nicotine, um, so or t- tobacco products, uh, alcohol, and then um, other kind of addictive substances that we can talk about. So, and again, obviously, big topic, lots of stuff to unpack. But I think the basics are. If you do feel like you're having a, a struggle or a hard time with these these different substances, just again reach out for help. Ask for help. There's lots of resources available to help you out with that. Again, there's usually a lot more to the story than just "oh, I just drink a lot." You know, as you've mentioned on of your prior podcast, I think it was 11 with Olivia Mason. I believe. Mm, man, look at you. I think there was. Yeah, you really are watching my really, podcast. I know. I'm, I'm a student of yours. I. Um, uh, really great, some really great points about, again, like the idea of a systems theory. I never heard of that until I heard that podcast. I was like, it totally makes sense. Like I see people a lot too. You know, we see people in some of their most vulnerable States and you go, Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. It makes total sense. Yeah. So yeah, we're a product of the system we grew up in and someone who's now drinking a lot of alcohol and, and maybe even addicted to drinking alcohol. That's not just in a vacuum, right? There's a lot more to that story. (laughs)
0: Absolutely.
1: So anyway, um, so my, my first, my first plea would be to, Hey, go ask for some help. Okay. And, and again, you know, you definitely want to find an environment where you feel, you feel it's trustworthy and you feel safe to talk, to talk about what's going on. But here's, here's the recommendation. Um, Any nicotine product to the best of our knowledge does have some health consequences associated with it. Now, obviously cigarettes are the most traditional one um, and they do have probably the most severe health consequences. And it's, it's really It's so well known now that uh, when I see, I think I hear a lot of doctors, when they hear someone's a smoker, they get maybe judgmental, um, maybe kind of um, like almost like scoffing at it, like, oh, why would you smoke, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, don't, don't, that's not really a great reaction in my opinion. (laughs) Really what it probably should be is I think, I think most people who smoke know it's probably not good for them, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think they know that by now. I think most people know that. Um, Yeah, it's right there on the path. Yeah, it says it. Yes. Surgeon General.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but what the question I would ask is, hey, why when did you when did you start smoking? Why did you start exactly. smoking? Exactly. What does smoking do for you? You know, what is and then let, then we can work on alternate strategies. I also remind patients like I'm not gonna sit here and be judgmental about it. I'm not gonna beat you over the head with it. I'm gonna tell you what my recommendation is, but I know you're not ready until you're ready mm-hmm. you know, to, to really, to really quit. That's it doesn't good. matter what I say. So, um, so again, that, that's the kind of framing the conversation that way, but yes, any nicotine products, so even the new products, the e-cigarettes, the vaping, um, you know, I have patients ask me a lot, Oh, it's gotta be better than cigarettes, right? It's better for me. And I'm like, well, relative to cigarettes, it's probably less dangerous, <laughs> but and so again, it's all about language. So it's, it, words matter, right? So it's probably less dangerous than cigarettes to your health. However, it's definitely not. It's definitely more dangerous than not vaping. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, like, remember that any nicotine exposure to your body, and again, let's acknowledge that nicotine can give you, po- you know, positive psychological effects. It can help you focus. It can help reduce your stress levels. Maybe it's a habit you've gotten into. Maybe it's just like, I get really stressed out when I'm in my office. I need to go outside and do something. And right now it's smoking cigarettes um, or smoking, a, you know, doing my vape or whatever. Um, You know, let's talk about that. But that's, again, let's acknowledge that any nicotine exposure does come with some risk, um, health risks, and specifically cardiac disease and cancer risk. Um, And then um, alcohol, right now, the the general recommendation for alcohol is two standard drinks for men per day, or one standard drink for women per day. And ideally, no um, episodes where there's four per episode for men or three per episode for women. Um, and again, as, as a rare circumstance, so to speak. Um, and again, you can look up what, what is a standard drink. You know, we can look, we can, you know, that that's information's online, you can look that up. Um, and then, um, and then basically, now there's some recent data published out of Great Britain of all countries when it comes to alcohol consumption, no <laughs> offense to anybody who's Britain, but, um, the uh that actually any alcohol exposure may not be good for us Mm. so and i know that there's that goes back and forth right so it's like oh a glass of red wine a day it's really healthy for me it's part of the mediterranean diet um you know again i just i just always tell people all things in moderation and um if you find yourself using alcohol for anything other than just kind of enjoying it uh then we then maybe come talk to us um And if that enjoyment is a lot of drinks all at one time, if that's how you interpret enjoyment of it, then we also need to probably talk about that as well. Because there are health consequences associated with alcohol, such as high blood pressure, uh, heart disease, um, stroke risk, AFib, which can lead to strokes. And then atrial fibrillation, sorry, that is a a fast heart rhythm that you can get related to alcohol drinking. And then, of course, liver disease. I think that's something people kind of know about. Um, it also triggers so, your
0: anxiety and your depression and all kinds of things. So, I mean, yeah, just, and
1: it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a poor band aid over a bleeding wound, to be honest, mm-hmm. as far as a treatment. But I, it, it's understandable why people why people would want to Absolutely. use something like alcohol because it is a it is a depressing agent, right? So, the the receptors in the brain that it acts on um, basically help slow down brain processes. Um, again, hence feeling tired while you drink it. They reduce inhibitions. Um, and and relative numbing of emotions, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you have, um, you know, dis- decisions were made, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> decisions were made. Decisions were made. It's uh, a Brad so, Paisley
0: song about alcohol that's so true. So.
1: So again, and, and again, I, I am not perfect. I'm not the poster child of, you know, have I had some moments where, um, I'll, I drink probably more than I should have. Yeah. I mean, I, I luckily have never gotten in trouble and I don't plan to. I, I, course, I, can, I that, can attest to that. <laughs> now that I have children, it's like, it doesn't happen really ever. Cause you know, I get, sure. the kids still get up at six 30 or whatever, you know? So Oh yeah, um, speaking but, of that,
0: the yeah. whole sleep thing, like if you have kids under five, like you're, you know, you're you're out usually anyway like i
1: i had a patient today she's like yeah i've got twin seven month olds at home and i was like well i was like we'll talk about sleep but it's a wash right yeah we'll we'll skip that pillar we'll just yeah we'll. i'll mention it but (laughs) we we all know it's gonna be a lot um and then um okay so pillar number five is reducing stress right so
0: you've got two more to go, and we got about 15 minutes just to give you a heads up
1: yeah i'll be super quick um And and so, so this is more your lane anyway. So reducing stress. So what I like to talk about with patients is, um, if you are in a situation that feels stressful, I think let's, let's try to identify why it feels stressful. Like what is the trigger? What is the situation? What is the context? Um, and, and then ultimately let's talk about some strategies to try to reduce that stress. So I remind people, like there's a lot in our lives that we try to control, but you just can't, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot that happens. Like I said, people are going to be people. Um, you know, and, and things are going to happen that are, that are very well outside your control, but what, what can you be empowered to do? And I like to use that, that term rather than you, what you can control. It's more about your empowerment and how yeah. you feel and react and cope with different things is, you know, maybe it's your attitude, maybe it's your effort, maybe it's your mindset, maybe it's your perspective. You know, these are things you can be empowered to shift and change. And we can talk about those as strategies to try to reduce stress maybe it's, it's literally removing the stressor. Um, if, if it's something easy to do or practical to do or an environment you can change, then there you go. And sometimes people just need the validation, of, you know, oh, for sure. Yes, that is the right. That is a good, that is a good choice for me. Or that is a, that is a, a choice that'll probably help me feel healthier. And then I also remind people uh, regular, again, regular physical activity, taking care of your body, trying to get good sleep at night, trying to eat pretty decent food, you know, all these other pillars kind of add up to reducing your stress. Um, and then, mindful. I'm a big fan of talking about mindfulness, teaching people mindfulness, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. I'll do again. I think a lot of primary care, even primary care docs, who really should be pretty well, pretty well versed in mental health, you know, disorders and treatment, um, just as much as I can talk about Zoloft and all the side effects and risks and benefits and dosing and titration. I should be able to do CBT, at least at a basic level.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's my opinion. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if if you can just have a person doing some CBT, CBT, you know, in the office and then refer them out to somebody like us who does trauma therapy, who can get to the system stuff, who can work with addiction. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're help, you're number one, you're validating the person right off the bat, which makes them feel safe, which then makes them feel like the person you're referring to them to is actually legit and can be helpful. But if you're, yeah. if you're not touching that at all and you're just saying go to therapy, then yeah, it's less likely for them to do it unless they're in a major crisis or they have someone else who is doing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I always introduce, I always introduce therapy as a, as a option on a list of other things, you know, cause I think a lot of people want to hear about medicines. So I kind of like, I talk about them, but I'm like, Hey, here's all the others. Here's all the non-medication strategies that I know can help you Mm -hmm. mindfulness, make sure you're physically active. talking to a therapist, a specific strategy called cognitive behavioral therapy. I'll even explain what that is on a really basic level. So they understand, okay, so I'm just kind of working on something like a trigger or a situation right now or context that really stresses me out. And I can maybe think about it differently, you know, or maybe I can do something that helps me change my mindset about it, you know, like kind of a simple strategy and a tool, you know, tool and toolbox. Um, so that's kind of reducing stress. And again, if you feel, I, I just advise people, if you feel like, you feel like it's, it's getting overwhelming and you're feeling kind of less empowered, you know, to have, have the, the, you know, the emotional stability that you want in a situation, you know, come in and talk to us about it. You know, let's, let's, let's talk about it and see what we can do. Lastly, it's going to be the, the, again, the more positive side to me of like the, the psychological wellness. Uh, So social connection. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's a, that's, that's maybe something we can dive into on a uh, follow-up podcast. Sure. We have um, a lot
0: more to talk about.
1: Yeah. With everything going on with it, with the pandemic, just the current state of, of adolescence growing up in a, in a technologically, advanced society. I mean, there's a lot, I actually give lectures on this about brain development and um, and consequences of things like that. So the long and short is, is that good old fashioned social, I actually had this talk with a mom the other day. I think it was like a 15 year old kid and he was kind of complaining cause he had a two hour limit on his phone. It would like shut off and he couldn't use it anymore. And mom's like, well, he, I was like, I was like, you know what, we're actually, you know the the healthiest way for, for people to develop as growing up or even as adults is to just have good old fashioned human connection. Right. You know, just be with each other. You know, we were, we, we were like that for such a long time. Again, all of these, all of these changes, like everyone living in their own little house and not really knowing your neighbors yep. and Having you know, backyards
0: then, instead of front yards.
1: Backyards instead of front yards. Going to work and coming home, and not really having any engagement otherwise. You know that this is all fairly new stuff. You know, we used to all have to rely on each other, and mm-hmm. social connection was a huge part of our development and a part of our health, our, our health and happiness.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: so again, I give people some practical ways to do that. It's again, it's all in, it's all relative right now with with COVID and the pandemic. And so, I just remind people like don't don't miss out on reconnecting with people. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you and I, good example, like years go by. Right. And it's like, Oh shoot, man, I haven't talked to Clint in a while. And, and here we are, saw you this summer. And then we touched base about this and it's like, it's just very, I I forgot how like encouraging it is and how, how, um, how motivating it is to see like, you know, it's like an old connection that you're like, God, we, you know, there's, it's still there, which is awesome. And then, you know, (laughs) like we can still laugh about the same stuff, you know, life has changed, but I mean, and it's just to see how, how much you've done and how proud I am of you. Like, that is a very, um, joyful thing for me, you know, and selfishly as like, I really love seeing what you're doing because it makes me feel good, you know? So, was,
0: <laughs> well, I mean, there is that part of it, right? I think it's, uh, uh, methylate, methylate? Is that what it is? You're the doctor, but you know, there's <laughs> this, I went to this training a couple of years ago and I was talking to one of the ladies said, you know, never hesitate to methylate. And what she was saying was, is that <laughs> when you, when you eat green foods, when you exercise all these pillars that you've been talking about, you know that you you create this methyl in your brain that heals your brain, and here's your neuro, neurochemistry, and you know knits things back together in the way they're supposed to. And and one of the things she said was is that like when you connect with other people, when you serve other people, when you see other people doing good, you create this methyl in your brain, and and it's like man, that's such a it's so true. And on all those pillars are awesome, man. I mean, they're they're simple yeah. things that people can do, but it is a totally different view of medicine than what most of us get.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, and then again, with, within that last one, it's just finding joy, finding the silver lining, changing your perspective, things like that. And, and there's different different ways to do that, but that's kind of the, the the final pillar, man.
0: That's good, man. I love that. I love that idea. I love the concept. And I know, you know, we could talk about a million things and keep going. Oh, yeah. We will. One of the last things in the last kind of four or five minutes, I know we, <clears throat> and I'm going to gloss over it. So forgive me for doing it since we already talked about it. But one of mm-hmm. the things we talked about was um, like doctors going through, you know surgeons people going through what you go through right being kind of a first responder on the front line of people who are a wreck at times Um, Mm -hmm. one of the things I want to talk about on the next podcast but also just me and you keep up with over the course of the next couple months is like really doing some training for doctors I know here in treeport we're working on doing that for vicarious trauma for burnout for these adjustment disorders and so um, any any kind of tips that you can give or comments you can make to that that um, would be helpful for maybe doctors listening or people who are nurses or healthcare providers?
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of quickly, I'll say that probably the, the thing that has helped me the most, I would say, was changing my perspective on a patient situation that's difficult. So, um, for example, I have someone who really wants a specific substance in my office who is getting very upset that I'm not going to give them a specific substance because, in my opinion, medically, it is, it is not safe or it is not going to be the healthiest way to deal with um, their situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, then you know, their coping mechanism in that moment is to attack my, my character or my core beliefs. Um, and, for example, saying things like, you're not a good doctor, you don't want to take care of me, This happens all the time. I have every every person I know that's a doctor has had this experience, um, at least once, if not many, many times, with patients. So, what I what I remind, what I learned, kind of through, I guess, probably through the hard way, was that, first of all, like I'm not going to take any of that personal. I if I can go home at the end of the day, my boundary is I'm going to provide you with the best medical advice I know I can give you for your situation. And if you have a poor reaction to that, that's something you need to work on. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I will be happy to help you work on. But I am not gonna put that burden on myself or take that burden on myself to, to then affect my emotional state. Um, because I, I fully believe I'm giving you the best advice and the best medicine I can. That's good. So hear. I think that was a realization. And that took a long time. And, and it wasn't overnight, it wasn't easy. But it took me a long time to kind of not not distancing myself from the patient, but distancing myself from the poor reaction the patient has. Yeah, that's good. Um, and then the other thing and I, I, I was I won't go into the specifics of the situation, but it, it was a, it was a traumatic experience that had nothing to do with the patient treating me bad or anything like that. It's just a bad a bad experience. Like patients die. Stuff happens. Right. I think that. um and I don't know what the best answer is. And I don't think there is one best answer. I think everybody obviously has their own ways of coping through that, but I would try to remind people to have a strategy, have a thought process or strategy in place maybe before that happens. That's a product of training, right? So learning, what are the skills? What are the things I can do to cope through this and get through this situation? Because unfortunately we are in an in a industry where bad stuff does happen. Um, and just stuff out of our control and just, you know, life is life. You know, if there's, if there's any guarantees, right, it's death and taxes. So, Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people end up dying in front of a healthcare provider. Um, and so, and that's, um, you know, so first of all, please recognize within yourself, if you start, if you start to feel callous to those situations or there's no emotional response at all, there's just completely neutral, you know, that may be a sign that it's worth, you know, going to talk to either friends and colleagues or even a therapist about what, what that means um because that's a symptom definitely right? a yeah depersonalization that's a, that's a thing and that's not necessarily the healthiest way to handle that situation um on the flip side um you know completely involving yourself emotionally in those situations will also kind of wear you out and tax oh, you that's sure. kind of the beginning that's the beginnings of the the downslide. so again have have some you know get, get some training or learn some things um have a strategy in place going into a shift going into a situation if you're about to go into a family room that you have to tell them their loved one passed away or they're about to pass away. And you can ju- and just anticipate what the reaction might be and how you're gonna handle that and then what you're gonna do afterwards. You know, I will say one thing we did in the military, which I really enjoyed was after tough situations, we would debrief with the whole team. Mm-hmm. Literally right after it happened, we would get all together and just the different perspectives. And this was the whole team. This was the, the doctors, the nurses, the all the technicians, the staff, if, if security somehow was involved or the, uh, the other, other people like doc, you know, other officers of that day or whatever, anybody involved with in the situation gets together and we just kind of debrief through it. What happened? What did we do? And, and I will tell you a lot of positives come out of that. You know, it's you realize how much you work together as a team. You realize you, were, you weren't the only one that experienced what just happened. Um, you realize that other people may have some advice on how they're going to cope with it um, or get through it. And so it's, I think that's another strategy that can work really well. It's like a debrief type. And I think a lot of hospitals do that, but that would be another, another recommendation.
0: That's awesome, man. You're the man, dude. So, I, yeah. missed I missed you. It's good having this conversation. I miss you, with you. Dude. Yeah. We're gonna have to get together. I know we're going to the beach, uh, the same time this year again, so it's going to be fun to see yeah. you and hopefully, uh, get together and have some fun and try to, you know, we keep will. the seven pillars or, you know, going Seven you, have, you have a seventh one now you have to keep it you know
1: maybe it'll be eight next time yeah exactly
0: oh trust me i can get you know we can ramble <laughs> and give all kinds of pillars all right dude uh any closing thoughts or comments
1: um, I would just, I guess, lastly, I would say to healthcare providers, um, try to learn about lifestyle medicine, um, no matter what, what discipline you're in or what specialty you're in, you know, I think that's something we can all kind of reinforce and talk about with patients, no matter if you're a mental health provider, if you're a, uh, a chiropractor, if you're a, a physical therapist, if you're a pharmacist, you know, um, you know, learn about the pillars of lifestyle medicine, learn how to talk about them with the patients. Uh, Cause if they're hearing it from multiple people in the medical community, it may start, you know, kind of sinking in a little bit. And then um, to the patients who may be listening, um, if this if you identified with anything I talked about on the on the show, you know please go talk with your doctors about it. Look up information on the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. That's a great resource to learn more about it. Um, and again, these are things they're not necessarily easy. And they don't happen overnight, but they are very positive changes that are sustainable. So, um, and again, you may be able to come off of some of those medicines you don't want to take anymore. You know, so that's another thing that I remind patients of. They go, you know, they say like, oh, my priorities, I don't want to take all these medicines. I'm like, okay, well, this is what we can do to get you off the medicines. So let's meet in the middle on that, you know. So anyway, those are probably my parting parting comments on that.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, I'd say mine are, you know, if you're listening and you're a professional and you don't understand what Stephen's talking about or you find that difficult, like, you know, call somebody like me in your area, call me, I'll come to your state. I don't care, but get training on being trauma informed, understanding, you know, how to talk to someone, how to have those interview, the motivational interviews, um, you know, learn about, we didn't touch on this, but just human trafficking and abuse and, and things that people are going through that you might not be aware of in your office because you don't have a, a understanding of trauma and what people go through in the general population of America or the world at this point. Um, and then if you're a person and you're listening and you're like, man, I just, I keep trying to do these things and these pillars sound great, but I just can't get them done. A lot of that's going to have to do with your mental health and your ability to have someone to walk weekly along with you to see what's going on in your life, to rule out things, to help you, you know, ho- have hope when you don't have hope. And when you're struggling and you, you don't feel like you can do it, that they can, you know, push you along and help you kind of rule those things out. So all right man that was fun love you buddy that was um, fun i'll talk to you awesome. you did a great job i mean that was great information i think super helpful to professionals to the average person um tell your wife head hey and i'll see you yeah soon. same to you all right tell brother family hi thanks for doing bye, it buddy bye.
1: yeah talk to you later man bye